Uh, for those of you who don't know John, I want to just orient you a little bit to who this amazing man of God is right here. He really is. Um, I met John, I guess it was maybe eight, taking my, taking my stand over here, really filling it up. Um, I met John while I was on my first uh, overseas mission trip with Antioch, with our movement of churches. I think it was around eight years ago. And uh, we connected really quickly and uh, just felt like there was a, a kindred spirit and have remained really close friends uh, ever since. So John uh, went out with our first long-term team to North Africa 10 years ago. And uh, for those of you who have been around a little while, you'll know that uh, part of who we want to be as local churches in the Boston area, is, uh, we want to be churches that plant other churches, that, and especially with a heart towards the unreached places on the world. And uh, that was something that gripped John's heart uh, many years ago. And so he, was, he led out the first team. And so I shouldn't even say uh, a guest speaker because he's, really, he's family. Uh, we don't worship together in the same place on Sunday mornings, but uh, we're worshiping as family um, all the time. And so it's a joy that he gets to be here. Uh, those of you who, are, who were here a few months ago met Lila, his incredible wife. And uh, Lila, could you just maybe stand up? And there we go. Great. Lila's amazing. And uh, I gave a whole intro for her then, so I'm not going to kind of repeat all that. But um, she shared some testimonies with us, and we got a chance to pray for her a few weeks ago and uh, related to kind of her calling in North Africa. So, dear friends, John and I helped lead uh, our base in Germany two summers ago as we were engaging with the refugee crisis. And uh, that was a joy to get to partner together. So just want any way that you would trust me, and some of you don't even know me that well, but I just want you to take that trust and deposit on John. Uh, this is a man who lives out what he teaches and what he speaks. And uh, his, one of his life desires is that he would wholeheartedly follow Jesus in every area of his life with his family with his vocation, with everything that he would put his hand to, that it would be a wholehearted place of surrender to Jesus. And there aren't many people I know who truly do wholeheartedly follow Jesus in that way. So I'm going to pray for John. And uh, if you could just extend a hand as a way of kind of just embracing him and welcoming him as well in, in praying, that would be awesome. Um, so Father, I thank you that there is an anointing on this man, uh, that you have placed uh, just power on him to proclaim your words. I thank you for his faithfulness to be a man who first and foremost is a lover of Jesus, who opens his heart to you on a daily basis and follows you. Um, so we thank you that he's, he's a gift to us, and we receive him as a gift this morning. And uh, we look forward to what you're wanting to do uh, in each one of our hearts uh, this morning. And so we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Could, we, could, you, could you just give him a little, little round of applause here? Welcome him. All right. Come on. All right. Good morning. 
I love getting to be a part of this with you guys. This is one of my favorite places in the world to be. Uh, it is not just in Boston, but a part of the Antioch Boston uh, churches, and it's just, it really is a homecoming, even when I'm not introduced by John in that way. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and our text is Acts 2. Um, and so we're going to be talking about the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to be talking about this early, early church community that's happening in Jerusalem. And that's verses 42 through 47. All right. I'm just going to pray for a second. We're going to pray then. Lord Jesus, we pray, Father, that as we explore your scriptures, seeking for your spirit, that we would find you there. Lord, our hunger is for you, mighty God. All right, and as we wade into somewhat deep waters here, talking about the Holy Spirit, I want to take a minute and say to you something that Sean Richmond said to me on probably my first or second Sunday as a part of the Antioch world. I was a very new believer and certainly new to serious, certainly new to following Christ wholeheartedly. And, um, and so Sean gets up, and I realize he's preaching on the Holy Spirit. And my first thought is, oh, no. Oh, no. The, the, you know, the, the charismatic preacher is getting up to preach on the Holy Spirit. And here's what my thought was. I can remember thinking, just being vulnerable with you, I can remember thinking, here comes a bunch of social pressure to try and make me do something. And then they're going to call that the Holy Spirit. And why was I thinking that? Uh, part of it is because I grew up in a different kind of church tradition. I, I grew up in that church tradition that wasn't even a believer. Uh, I was an atheist. But I remember asking, what is the deal with the Holy Spirit? And I was given kind of this doctrinal bullet point. And that was supposed to fill in the space occupied by the person of the Holy Spirit. And so instead of being introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit, I had sort of this doctrinal statement, which actually is a true statement, but it was not a fulfilling, comprehensive answer to the question of who is the Holy Spirit. And of course, anyone who grew up in my generation had another source of access to the Holy Spirit, which was, of course, televangelists on TV, right? So you ever been flipping through channels looking for Sports Center and you see the person with the big hair screaming on the stage? You too have seen televangelists. And televangelists are great. Millions of people around the world came to Christ uh, through their ministry. But as a non-believer watching televangelist ministry and trying to think, what is the Holy Spirit? I'm watching somebody up on a stage in front of thousands of people with a giant man standing next to them screaming. And I'm thinking to myself, this is social pressure. That even if that person was not experiencing something, the social pressure of that moment would make them want to fake it. I don't know if you've ever had that thought, but I can remember being on my second, first Sunday at CSCF and thinking, oh man, the charismatic Christians are going to preach on the Holy Spirit. That's really what's going to happen. And praise God that that Sunday, Sean Richmond's opening line was, hey, I want you to feel welcome here, and I want to let you know that this church is a safe place for you to seek out and experience the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again, that this church, Antioch Waltham, is a safe place for you to experience, for you to seek out the Holy Spirit today. Now, what does it mean for it to be a safe place? Well, first off, it means that you are not going to encounter social pressure. We're not going to put you up in front of people and yell at you and, and tell you you have to do something or imply that you have to do something. That is not our style, and it is not the way 
that God does things. Secondly, what does it mean for this to be a safe place? Man, this is a sincere and authentic group of people. And so when it comes time and we're experiencing what the Holy Spirit is doing, you're going to look left in your pew. You're going to look right in your pew. And the people around you are going to be expressing the gifts of the Spirit and encountering the Spirit of God in a way that is also sincere and authentic. So you'll find yourself allowed to be sincere and authentic as you pursue the Spirit of God, and you'll find yourself in the midst of a community of people who are sincere and authentic as they pursue the Spirit of God. That's what makes this a safe place today. Um, and why is that so important? Why is it so important to say that more now than it ever has been? Right, so I've been living in Africa for 10 years. I come back, and what, you know, what is the headline in America? Man, it's all about people stealing data on Facebook and trying to manipulate elections. That's like the big thing right now in America. I'm like living in Africa. I'm like, give me a break. This is what you guys watch on CNN. And um, there's, there's a lot of important things happening in the world right now. <laughs> and why is this important? It's because in our generation, the highly valued skill is something we call social engineering. What is that? It's job speak for using information and social techniques to manipulate people to do something, to feel something, to do something we want them to do. Right? In this case, it was manipulating an election result. But how many of you know that that is the exact opposite of the way that the Holy Spirit works? How many of you know that that is the exact opposite? This, this reverse engineering of this sort of social dynamic, that is the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit of God does among people. And it is therefore the opposite of the way we are going to do things at Antioch Waltham. Okay? All right. So we can't really get too much further in this topic without asking the real question of who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Not just what, but who is the Holy Spirit. Man, I want to introduce you a little bit this morning. Okay, let's start in the right place to start. God. <laughs> Talk about God, okay? So God. God is the one that made everything. All of the universe, stars and planets, galaxy, time, energy, matter, human beings. God created all of it. And he didn't just create it. He filled it with purpose and meaning. And he did that because that's what God is like. Man, I love God. Second, Jesus, right? Jesus was the incarnate presence of God on earth with human beings. He was the living word of God. The things that Jesus said was the speech of God. The things that Jesus did, they were the deeds of God. And he was right there with us. You could look him in the eye. You could shake his hand. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin. And he rose from the dead and he went up to heaven. But before he went up to heaven, he made a series of promises about someone called the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said about the Holy Spirit. He said, first off, man, I love this stuff. First off, he said that the Holy Spirit would have this function of revealing to us the truth about God that he'd be almost like a teacher who would reveal the truth about God to us as believers. Second, he said that the Holy Spirit would have this function of bringing conviction on the entire world. And third, and probably the greatest of these promises, is he said that the Holy Spirit 
would live inside of us. Now, the Holy Spirit was not going to be a visitor in your life as a believer. And when you committed your life to follow Jesus, you obtained this promise that the Holy Spirit would live inside of you. He's not like your in-laws who just every couple months shows up and like stresses you out. He, he is the Spirit of God, and he's going to indwell us as believers forever. That was the promise of Jesus, that Jesus was temporarily on earth, but the Holy Spirit would live inside us forever. And if you think that's a big promise, listen to the fourth promise that Jesus makes. And this is the one, like, like we, we talk about our minds being blown. I'm almost having to patch mine together when I think about this one. Jesus said that this Holy Spirit was going to be better than physically hanging out with him on earth. Jesus was God, people. <laughs> okay? So Jesus said, it is better that I would go away so that the Holy Spirit will come. And what does that mean? Man, this is so nuts. Jesus is basically saying, oh, this is so crazy. Jesus is basically saying, it is better to be filled with the Holy Spirit than to physically sit with him at the table and eat the Last Supper. Better than that. It's better than physically sitting with Jesus on the hillsides of Galilee and listening to him preach the Sermon on the Mount. It's better than that. Better. Man, how many of us today can hunger to encounter a Spirit of God that is actually better than being face-to-face -face with Jesus on earth? Do we believe that that promise is true? Do we believe it's a promise for us? It's better, guys. We love Jesus as a church, but Jesus said that this would be better than standing right next to him. All right, let's get into our passage today. Can I have Acts 2, 1 through 7 up on the screen? I'm preaching from the NIV uh, 84 because I was uh, growing up in the 90s. <clears throat> Everything else just doesn't sound quite right. Um, but the context for this passage, so Jesus has gone up into heaven, and he sent, sent the disciples to uh, the city of Jerusalem, and they're waiting in the upper room, and the, they have this incredible experience of the Holy Spirit. All right. So what it says is, when, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the rushing, like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole room where they were staying. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That is, every nation where Jews were living had gathered in the city. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And so Peter stands up and preaches a sermon to all the Jews that are gathered. And it's a beautiful, contextual sermon preached to the Jewish worldview and explains who Jesus was, why he died, and how to believe in him. And he concludes his sermon with this invitation. Man, this is a good invitation. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And check this out. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No question. You, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And check this out, man. The promise is for you 
for your children who just went to their classrooms, and for all who are far off, whoever didn't even come to church with you today, all right? And for all whom the Lord our God will call. Okay, so let's start at the beginning here at the passage. It says, it talks about a wind and fire coming in the room. Man, uh, as a culture, we're trying to bring metaphors to describe our experiences with the Holy Spirit. And we like to bring metaphors that kind of came off of our little iPhone experiences. And so we're like, oh, God gave me kind of a download today. And we're using sort of mechanical or technical language to try and describe our interactions with God. And I think that's not bad. God loves new metaphors, I would guess. But what's happening here is so far beyond the ability of those metaphors to capture. We've got it happening in 3D, all five senses. You could see the fire. You could feel its heat, perhaps. You could feel the wind rushing through the room. And the sound was so loud that the whole neighborhood is coming to the door. Full sensory. And so what's the deal with the wind and the fire here? Well, first off, the wind. Okay, so the wind is not a new thing. Anyone who's spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, the wind was often an expression of the presence of God among people, the breath of God. All right, and so that's not something new. But let's look a little bit here at the fire. And uh, I don't know if anyone else uh, reads the picture Bible with their children, but in the morning, it's not every morning, uh, to be honest, uh, we get up and we try to read the picture Bible with our kids. And whatever I'm studying, I like to study it with them. You know, because maybe they'll have some really good insight for me. Uh, frequently they do. And so we're studying in the children's Bible. We use one called the Pictures Bible, which is also from the 80s. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was busting up this week. Because if you look in the Picture Bible, the illustration has got the disciples, and they're all kind of standing in a row going, oh. And over their heads are these sort of little party hat-shaped Holy Spirit fires, all right? And I'm like, okay, that probably was a little surprising to them. And then so I'm like, this is not what I'm looking for. So I'm going to go on Google find a great illustration. So you go on Google, and you come up with a lot of Eastern Orthodox illustrations, which is a particular art form where the, the, the disciples are like, oh, and, they're, uh, and they've got this kind of like blank face and a halo, and they've got this kind of Zippo lighter turned on right above their hairline with this kind of like fire going like that. And uh, if you spend 45 minutes, as I did, searching on Google for, a, for, a <laughs> for an illustration of the Holy Spirit, you might find one or two that you'll like. And here's the one that I like, uh, because it, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Uh, <laughs> here's the one I like, and here's why. Uh, the one that I feel like gets us a little bit closer to maybe what it really felt like is the one where there's this Holy Spirit flamethrower river coming through the room, right? And the tongues of fire are not like these little kind of things. They're like these hand-shaped burning things that reach out to tap on the head of all 120 people in the room. And why do I like that image better? One, because it looks cooler. But two, why do I like that image better? Because the emphasis is on the way that the fire sought out all 120 people. Because that's why the fire was so unusual. Because fire also, and any Old Testament scholars here? Anybody take Old Testament ever? Come on. All right, a little bit of honor. My hands are all like this. Come on, Old Testament, guys. So uh, <laughs> anybody who's dug into the Old Testament, the fire was also not new. Throughout the Old Testament, the history of God's people, fire was the presence of God. The burning bush, 
the burning lampstand in the temple, the fire on Mount Sinai, God answering by fire with Elijah. This was the presence of God, the fire. But what's totally new here is that the fire is dividing itself and coming to rest on every person in the room. That's totally new, unprecedented in the scriptures. And just to give you, just to give you a, a, an example of how crazy this was for them, how new this was in terms of God's activity, you remember like God's people were rescued out of Egypt, rescued out of slavery, and they're walking through the wilderness for 40 years with Moses. And what does it say? It says that there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that was leading them. This was God's manifest presence with his people in the desert. And what's written is that this cloud and this fire would come down into the camp and it would go into his tent called the tent of meeting and God would go, God would go in there and Moses would go in there and they would meet face to face. This was the place of encountering God's presence. There was one pillar of fire for one people of God and they had to trust that Moses was going to go in there and meet with God on their behalf. That's how it worked. That was the Old Testament way of meeting with God. And it was beautiful, and God did wonderful things. But look what happened here. Look how this is different. Look how this changes everything. It wasn't one pillar of fire for one people. The tongues of fire divided, and they came to rest on every single person in the room. And I'm telling you guys, if you were there, there would have been a tongue of fire for you. If you were there, if you were there, there would have been a tongue of fire for you. You wouldn't have to do anything or earn anything or be somebody. You just had to show up. You just had to show up and be there. And can you, can you, can you close your eyes and even imagine right now that there's a tongue of fire that's reaching down for you? like there was in that room that day. And if you struggle to imagine it, as I sometimes do, guys, there had been 5,000 people with Jesus on the hillside when he multiplied the loaves and fishes, but there were 120 left here, still, still waiting. And who were they, right? They were a bunch of sinners, right? We imagine all these different things might disqualify us, but guys, the people in this room, they were 120 rejects. Okay? Because of following Jesus, they were rejected from Jewish society. Secondly, they were, they were, they were, many of them were educated. They were prostitutes and tax collectors, nobodies and outcasts. There was nothing special about them that qualified them to have holy fire reach out of heaven and land on their head. And there's nothing special about us either. And so whatever you think would disqualify you, from that kind of experience. It's not true. Think about it. If you're thinking, oh man, I have a theology that does not permit that from happening, that does not disqualify you. You might say, I don't even have a theology. That does not disqualify you either. You might say, oh, I'm, I, I don't have the maturity to go there. I don't have the, the spiritual experiences to go there. I don't have, um, I, don't have uh, I haven't been a believer long enough. I have too many doubts. I have sin in my life. Guys, 120 people, every single one in the room had a tongue of fire on their head. No one was left out. And all that we know 
This is crazy to me. All that we know about the most important prayer meeting that has ever been held is the phrase, they were gathered in one place. That's all that we know. Right? Hey, Antioch Waltham, we are gathered in one place right now. There is nothing to disqualify us. It's not complicated. All right, let's look at the other half of this passage. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Oh, man, we are really getting warmed up now. Man, this is the, of all the things in the scriptures, I like a lot of things in the Bible, but I really, really like this. And uh, when I was a life group leader, man, this is what we would live and die for. We would get together. We had like six people in a room with, with no coffee and bad snacks. And we're like, we are doing it. Acts 2.42, this is us. And you know what? It's never left. Today I'm working in North Africa, and I, I get the privilege of working with national leaders in our city. And when we get together, man, this is what it's about. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. And it says that right before this passage, about 3,000 people committed their lives to Christ when they heard Peter's message. Man, this is so crazy. Like, this passage is so full of everything we want as believers. And, uh, and for me, as a Bostonian who has a preoccupation with assigning value based on what people can produce, I look at this community of people, and I am so impressed. I'm just so impressed. I look at them, I'm like, look at the productivity. Look how much ministry is happening. I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, look at their devotion. I mean, look how intensely they're committed to these programs that they've got running at their church. And I think, look at the sacrifice. It says that they're selling their stuff. Man, the, the life of sacrifice in this community. I just, I'm so impressed with what they're able to do. And man, we want a church like this. I mean, we want a church like this with this kind of teaching, with this kind of fellowship every day with this kind of insanely radical giving to the poor. I mean, this is just incredible. Selling their possessions to give to the poor. We want that. We instinctively want it. And we want this kind of miracle. And guys, we want this kind of growth for our church, right? Every day people being added because of what's happening. And so we look at these things, we look at these outcomes, and I find myself, and I'll bet a lot of us do, making this mistake. And it's Okay, so making this mistake, which is that, like, we look at what's happening here, and we make, we make the conclusion that if this is what we want, all that we have to do is just try a little bit harder. Just put in a few more hours. If we could just get it together, then we could have this. If we could just grow up a little bit, get past all this stuff, then this could be ours. We could be a community like this. Or, or we might say, oh, if only we had better leaders, if only we had better staff. If only we had a little more money or a better facility, then we could really have all this stuff. We could just get it together, right? 
and we find ourselves imagining that we could get there just by trying harder and doing more, putting our nose to the grindstone. But there is no way that we can have this kind of ministry output without that kind of encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's what Acts 2.42 is about. There is no shortcut. There is no quick fix. And we cannot have that kind of ministry output without that kind of Holy Spirit encounter. It's as simple as that. There's no way to have Acts 2.42 without Acts 2.1-7. And if that's true, let's look at it a closer bit here. What changed in the ministry model before and after this incredible experience of Acts 2? So, so before Acts 2, what is the ministry model? What is the church plan, right? It's, it's, a, great, it's, a, it's a very popular worldwide church, church strategy called go and hide. It's called go and hide from your enemies. In the persecuted world, I myself have used this church strategy, <laughs> right? Crazy things happen, and so sometimes your best church plan is we're going to just go and hide. And praise God, it's community-oriented. It's other-centered sometimes because nobody wants to hide alone. Right, So the, the disciples are getting together, hiding from the Jews who are trying to kill them, and they're like, we're just going to hide out. And it turns out this is a great strategy because when they get together and hide, Jesus physically shows up at their meeting. Praise God, the resurrected Jesus showing up in the room. And so this is their model of church. They get together, hiding, and Jesus comes and physically meets with them. And before he goes up to heaven, Jesus gives them some further instructions. Right? And he says, what I want you to do is go to Jerusalem and wait there. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my father has promised. The disciples have got to be thinking, praise God. Jesus is telling us to do the one thing we have already figured out, which is to hide in a room and wait there. <laughs> to hide in a room and wait there. For <laughs> so physical Jesus is not going to show up. But the promise is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to show up. And guys, they're not starting ministries. In fact, the ministry is shrinking between the ascension of Jesus and the day of Pentecost. Their church is losing people. They're not launching new programs. They're not discipling new leaders. They're just waiting and waiting and waiting. What is the deal with that? So, guys, I'm a missionary. Jesus said other things before the ascension. Something, something called the Great Commission, okay? So Jesus, <laughs> before Jesus went up to heaven, he gave this great, great, great commission. It's full of active tense verbs like go and make disciples. Go to every nation. Baptize all nations, right? Okay? That was not step one, okay? I'm a Great Commission dude. I want to get out there. Let's share the gospel. Let's plant some churches, okay? Let's get some people involved in the community of God. Outreach was not step one. Sharing the gospel was not step one. Starting small groups was not step one. Even making disciples, this crazy, was not step one. What was step one? Yeah, step one was go and wait. Now what, what is Jesus thinking? Why would he do that? Why would go and wait be step one? for the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Why would that be step one? 
because Jesus knew what was already so obvious to us when we look at this passage, that there is no way for us to experience Acts 2, 42 through 47 without an encounter with the Holy Spirit like the one in Acts 2, 1 through 7. And guys, I am not talking about the Holy Spirit falling on the head pastor of your church so that cool things will happen. I'm not talking about that because that is not going to cut it. Second thing, I'm not talking about it about the Holy Spirit having an encounter with your staff who are great. But that is not going to be enough. That is not going to do the job. You know, your, your staff all getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's not going to give us Acts 2.42. Sorry. If, we're, if, we're, if our hunger is for Acts 2, 42 through 47, the only way to get there is to have an experience all together as a community where every single person in the room is encountering the Holy Spirit together. Because it wasn't one pillar for one people. It was divided tongues of fire that came to rest on every single head in the room. And if you're sitting here today thinking that if you'd been there, there'd have been 119 tongues of fire, I'm telling you that God has got it in for you. And uh, if that makes you a little nervous, I'm sorry. Um, the thing about the Holy Spirit is this church is a safe place, but our God is not always a safe God. He's going to call us to risk, isn't he? I mean, I'm a, I'm a missionary. I do some crazy things sometimes. I'll tell you, God will call you to risk. So he's a safe God insofar he will always carry us, but he's not a safe God in that he only wants you insofar that he only wants you to do easy things, is it? And so this morning, I'm going to invite uh, Keith and uh, Tanya and their daughter Belle to come up front um, and share a testimony. Because the Holy Spirit is not absent from Antioch Waltham. Anybody? Come on. And so we are encountering the Spirit of God, and, uh, and things are happening. Some of these Acts 42 through 47 things are, are happening already. And, um, and, uh, and so they're just going to share a brief testimony about something that's happening, and then we'll, uh, we'll begin to respond what the Holy Spirit's doing. And I went to the stairs and they took an x-ray and, and then they said to come. Um, on Sunday they were praying for, um, they were praying in a class on, um, on a Sunday and then they prayed for me and then on this, I went back on this on a Thursday, and they took another x-ray. They even took out magnifying glasses, and they could not find the break. Wow. Woo. So we were going back to the doctor for like a cast check so they could see if they needed to recast it. And then when they x-rayed it, the doctor came back in, and that's what she said. Like, we even used a magnifying glass, and we couldn't find a break. And when we went in, Belle had said, like, they prayed for me on Sunday, so you're going to take the cast off today. Like, she was very confident that this would wow. be what would happen. And it was really sweet because the Lord healed her leg, but it was really hard for her to have her cast when she first got it. And she just felt so defeated that her leg was broken. She didn't want to talk about it or tell anybody. But God totally met with her in deep, intimate places in her own heart in the midst of that. 
So much so that like a week after her leg would have been healed, we were praying for somebody else and she said, um, oh, well, I know God's going to be with you in hard things because he was right there with me when I broke my leg. So he, he healed her, wow. her leg, but her heart really met him in new ways. So it was a sweet testimony of that. Amen. All right. Does that fill anybody with faith? I was talking with, with Belle before the service and listening to her testimony, and it put the fear of God in my heart. God is doing miracles because that's what he's like. He's healing little girls' broken bones um, when they get prayed for in Sunday school, right? You guys feel that? Like, it's so simple, right? It's for everybody. It's not, not some spiritual superhero going to come and change your life. Everybody, just normal people praying for each other. Our Sunday school teacher's hiding somewhere in this room right now. Because that's what it is when we all come together. We seek out the Holy Spirit who we're longing for. He comes and touches our life, and we become a community that sees miracles happen. And so what is our response time today? Why don't you guys begin to play here in the background? What is our response time today? Uh, Brendan, if you're here, I'd love to have you come up with me as well. Um, but what is our response time today? How do we respond to this? Anybody paying attention to this passage will know there's only one thing that the passage actually calls us to do. There's only one command that really matters in Acts 2. It's not go and do. It's not stand up. It's not shout and run around. God's not looking for a bunch more frantic activity from Antioch. And God doesn't just want us to try harder and run around and do stuff feel that? Step one, guys, what is step one? Step one is just go and wait. Let's just go and wait. Go and wait for the gift. And the gift has already been given forever, but for us as a church to wait for it today. And so we're just going to do that so simply all together. And, and guys, waiting is not easy for us. We're, we're the iPhone culture. We're the YouTube culture. We want it right now. But guys, we are going to wait because that is how God works. And so if waiting feels awkward, then we're going to do awkward. If waiting feels a long time, we're going to do a long time. But we are going to wait in the presence of God for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do this morning. And uh, Brendan is going to lead us in just talking very practically. How do, we, how do we make our heart quiet enough to wait? And uh, there will be a couple different ways that we, can, that we can just tap into what God is doing. So... So I actually want to specifically extend this. So if you think of yourself, I'm a key leader at Antioch Waltham, I want you to, to be waiting the hardest and doing the least. And if you are not, if you would say I'm not a key leader at Antioch Waltham, uh-oh, because this is, the, this is the 120 people with claims on their head time, okay? Uh, and so if you are not feeling like you're a key leader, but you feel like God is doing something in you during this waiting time, uh, Brendan and I will be sitting right up here. John, John Prickett might be sitting with us as well. And you can come and talk to us about it. It might be something that God has for the whole church. It might not. But we'll be in it with you together, okay? But that's a clear way to respond. So everybody, sorry leaders, uh, if, God is doing, if, God is, if God is just doing something in you during this waiting time, come up and talk to us. It might be for everybody. 
But all we have to do is wait. Thank you, John. Just really practically here, waiting, waiting is not passive. Waiting is engaged in, in mind, body, and spirit. So I want to encourage you to get in a position right now physically where you're, you're able to let down, breathe deeply. Breathing helps us be still, slow our mind down. And even the picture of having a glass that's poured out and just emptying yourself of, of things that could be distracting, putting things down that might be held in your hands so that your, your, your hands are open. We want our hearts to be open. And I want to encourage you to center your thoughts not on something but someone, but your thoughts be centered on God. Uh, even the picture of you sitting with Him across from Him in a chair and, and we're, we're saying, God, we want to be filled with your Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives a couple of different, uh, uh, Jesus gives us a couple of different pictures of what the Spirit could look like. Springs of living water flowing from within you, a pool that never runs dry. That's a picture. Being baptized in the Spirit, that's, baptizo is to dye a garment. Uh, a piece of cloth being dipped down into a dye and taking on the the, the color and the quality of the dye. God is one, wanting to do something qualitative, transforming, qualitatively transforming in you. And it's not something you have to produce. He does it. So God, we want to wait on you to pour out your spirit. is a vulnerable place because I am temporarily suspending my agenda, what I feel like I need or want to do, and I'm waiting on some, someone else. 
So it's okay to feel a little uncomfortable with waiting because you're putting yourself in a, in a vulnerable place. But Lord, we say that we are willing to be still in this vulnerable place as we wait for you. thing that I want to leave at you with, and I'll turn it back to, over to John, is that the Lord, we're going to keep waiting, let's keep waiting. A part of Jesus' revelation of God's heart as he uh, ministered on the earth, as he said, as fathers love your kids, you love to give good things to your kids, then how much more does my Heavenly Father love to pour out His Spirit without measure? You're saying, is anything happening? Yes. As you ask for the Spirit of God, He responds with the resounding, yes. I want to answer that request, answer that just get a sense that, that God really is speaking to multiple people in this room. God is definitely doing some things right now that are really important. And uh, I just want to give you courage. And 
just if, if God is, if you feel like God is doing something in you that's for this whole room, that would be consistent with Acts 2. And so I just, you know, come on right up here, just sit in the front, give me the wave, and, uh, and we, can, we can talk about whatever you feel like God might be saying. But there's no, no pressure for that. Our goal is to wait, not to do. to wait, if our goal is to simply be before God, then we have succeeded already. Our goal is not to do, our goal is not to have any output at all, but to wait. Don't you feel it while we're all doing this? Do you not feel the way that we have honored the Spirit of God? We have treated His name as something holy this morning. So just as our final act together, uh, before we go into a worship time, I feel like there's just something for us to, to all say yes to a tongue of fire for me today. And so I would just invite, let's, let's every single one of us say, I say yes to a tongue of fire for me. And Lord, we are willing to wait. Lord, it doesn't mean staying in this room until, until five o'clock tomorrow night, Lord, but it does mean that we as a people will be those who wait on the Lord. You say that those who wait on the Lord will not be disappointed. And I just declare that our God is the God who answers by fire. That the God who answers by fire is the one that we are following. And Lord, we will know the fire and goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that every single person in this room uh, has availability to the Holy Spirit. God, we honor you, Holy Spirit, today, and we are yours forever. Amen.